0: Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So who here doesn't like a masterpiece of a story or, of a m- or a masterpiece of a play or a movie? Well, this is the first and the greatest story ever written, and it is a masterpiece. But this, this is more than a masterpiece story. This is a masterpiece account. This And only this is 100% correct, which is why it is not a story, it's an account. And for this reason alone, even if it weren't masterfully penned, amazingly executed, it would be the masterpiece. So what's a masterpiece? Well, in human terms, a masterpiece is the shining achievement of a person, We're told that when we stand in the presence of a masterpiece, that it causes us to forget that person that created it, or even forget ourselves, we lose ourselves in it. But that term doesn't apply to God, because his masterpiece doesn't make us forget him. It doesn't cause us so much to wonder at the events as they unfold, that we forget the one who is causing them to unfold. And this is the difference between a human masterpiece and the masterpiece of God. The masterpiece that is the Bible causes us to sit back in our chairs in wonder at the creator of all that is as it's recounted to us in his masterpiece. And verse 4 opens with the retelling of the creation week for us. Verse 1 of Genesis 1 is the telling of the creation week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the rest of chapter 1, after verse 1, begins the retelling of the creation week. Verse 1 was all that we really needed to know concerning the how of all things, and even the why of all things, and most importantly, the who of all things. And you realize that there's only one of all of God's creation that asks why, how, and even who concerning creation? But it's only to the shining creation, to this masterpiece of God, that God condescends to tell of himself. And that's what verse 1 of chapter 1 does. And that is more than all that is required of God. More than enough for all of humanity, for all of time to shout praise to his name. But God did more than just give us Genesis 1:1. 1, 1. Tell us of Him creating all things that are. He gave us the retelling of the creation week, beginning in Genesis 1, verse 2, all the way through Genesis 2, verse 3. And as I've shown over the last two weeks, the salvation plan and the plan for the final recreation of the heavens and the earth were in the mind of God before he said, let there be light. And God, the master creator, he desires us, his masterpiece of creation, to know, to understand, to glory in the wonder of the masterpiece of creation, which is why we are given the re Retelling of the creation week beginning in verse 2 or verse 4 of chapter 2. And here God sets the stage for us to be amazed at his masterpiece as he tells us of his masterpiece in his masterpiece. To be amazed at the true masterpiece that is revealed to us in this masterpiece that we call the Bible. Verses 4 through 6 set the stage for us. Tell us of a time before we were created. They take us back. They transport us back to a world that we don't know. A time before any human ever walked the face of the earth. A place of pristine beauty, pure, holy. And then in verse 7 we hear, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. In all the creating of all that was prior to this, God just spoke. He commanded what wasn't there into existence and he said let there be elemental things and let them come together to form what we know and even those things that we don't know and then he commanded those elements that he had created out of nothing he commanded them to create out of themselves plants trees of the water and the sky he commanded them to create fish and birds of the ground he commanded that the earth create the insects and the animals And of his creation, he blessed them, and he made them to be able to recreate after their own kind. That's verse 22 of Genesis 1. And it was all good. But then, beginning in verse 24 of Genesis 1, we hear God speaking within the triune Godhead concerning his masterpiece of creation. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And as amazing as that is, that he would create something in his image, something separate from all the rest of his creation, as amazing as that is, we're told in verse 7 of chapter 2, something even more amazing about this master creator. He takes a personal hand in the creating of this, his last of creation. He forms, and then he breathes. Even those heavenly beings, those beings that we call angels, they weren't formed by the hand of God. And they didn't have him breathe life into them. Only man did, which is why in 1 Peter 1.12, we're told that angels long to look into this relationship that God has with these humans, formed out of the created elements and breathed life into by him. And even in its fallen tainted state. Creation is still a masterpiece of God. All of it is a masterpiece. And it was all spoken to an existence by the master creator. But on the sixth day, he did something even more amazing. It's only after the creation of the sixth day that God looked at his creation and said that it was very good. What he did on the sixth day was different. It's special. It's intimate. He formed out of his creation with his own hands, in his own image, his masterpiece. You. And this is the first part of what it, being, what it means to be created in his image. What that means. But it's only part of what it means. To understand what it fully means to be created in his image, we must understand the masterpiece that we are being shown in these chapters. When he did something completely other, something completely different than anything else he had done to this point in creation, he breathes life into humans. The essence of all life is told to us in this verse. Because a human body without breath is not a person. It's just a body. The Apostle James affirmed this for us, as told to us in chapter 2, verse 26 of James. There he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. But what are we supposed to make of this breath of life that he breathed into the nostrils of this body? The breath of life that caused Adam to become a living creature. Well, in a very real, real sense, that breath of life was just that. It was breath. It's the in and out of living, and this is what defines life. All life it doesn't it doesn't just make humans that way. But is it? Is what happens there? Is it more than just the in and out function of breathing? And are we to believe that the breath that God breathed into Adam was his spirit? That Adam was, at that moment, born with the spirit of God in him, by the spirit of God. The breathing of verse 7 is special. And no other created being was the breath of life breathed into them. And because of this Feature of verse 7, many hold that Adam was born everlasting, that he was born saved. The issue, though, is that the only truly important revelation in verse 7 is not the thing that God did in creating man. It's the revelation of the God that did the creating. Because The verses of chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, are watershed verses in this masterpiece of the Bible. In them, we are told for the first time that God is much more than just Elohim. A God, up to that point, we are told that Elohim, God, created all things. That's it. All we knew him by was Elohim. But now in the re-retelling of the creation week, this Elohim peels back another layer to reveal to us, to a greater degree, the wonder of his masterpiece. We here, beginning in verse 4, are given his name, Yahweh. Look, Yahweh God. So what's so important about this name of God? I mean, really, why is this such a big deal? I mean, after all, we all have names, and we even see God naming Adam. And we see Adam naming all the animals and even naming Eve. So why is the name of God more important than the names of the things that he created? Well, we're given insight into the importance of the name of, of God and the naming of Adam. See, the Hebrew name for Adam, it comes from that root word that means earth, red earth to be exact. The name Adam is a descriptor for that being called man. It tells us something about his character, about his makeup. Man, Adam, was created, made from earth. And the name that Yahweh gives man is Adam. That reflects the nature of that man. And it reflects the name also of the one that formed him out of the ground and then breathed life into him. Yahweh, the name of God, is a reflector of the nature and the character of Elohim, of God. And on the cusp of freeing these children of Israel, when a son of Adam, when Moses demanded to know who was it that was sending him, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Exodus 3, 14 and 15. And this Elohim, this Yahweh Elohim, did not just create humans. He formed them from the dust. Much like a potter forms pots and cups from lumps of clay. And this is an important thing to hang on to because it's it's a clue given to us. Just as the name of God chose for his creation, made in his image is a clue given to us. Because being formed from dust is a theme that is carried from this point forward in the salvation account in the Bible. Job lamented to God in, in chapter 10, verse 8, remember that you have made me like clay. And you will return me to the dust. Isaiah 64.8 But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are our potter, and we are the work of your hand. And in the New Testament we read, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power that it belongs to God and not to us. 2 Corinthians 4.7 And in Romans 9.21 we read, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? But before we can move on, I want to make sure, I want to ensure that we have Genesis 1 1 right. God did not create because he was lonely or bored, he didn't create because he's a glory hound. And when God created the heavens and the earth originally, They were exactly as he intended them to be, and he already had created heaven at that moment, and at that moment had already written the names of all of those that were of his elect, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And conversely, he also had all those other books that are spoken of in Revelation 20. They were already written as well. And we know this because God doesn't learn anything. He knows everything that ever was all at the same time. This is the essence of that meaning of his name, I am. He doesn't learn. He's never surprised. We read in Job 21, 22, Can anyone teach God knowledge? In He in. That he judges those on high. And then in chapter 37 of Job, we hear this question being asked. Do you know the balance of the clouds, those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? 1 John 3.20, we're told, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, we are told concerning God. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other God. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring from the end, I'm sorry, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Adam was perfect when he was formed from the dust and the breath of life was breathed into his nostrils and he was the best of the best. And you, you are a son or a daughter of Adam and you are the masterpiece of God just as Adam was. But we need to understand why God formed Adam from the dust. Why he created him perfect. And the one thing that we need to get right. Is that although Adam was perfect. He was not immortal. Look at verses 8 and 9 again with me. There's theology in these verses. The Lord Lord God planted in the garden. in, In Eden. In the east. And there he put the man whom he formed. So the first thing. We always think of the garden as being Eden. Now, Eden was a place the garden was planted in it. The man wasn't formed in that garden either. And even though all the rest of creation, all the animals, all the birds, all the trees, all the plants and insects had already been created here, in this garden, in the midst of Eden, we are told, and out of the ground the Lord God made, up, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And there was a tree of life in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These two trees are going to be important. They're important for us to think about. Because they have meaning. And they were not there, weren't placed there to tempt Adam. They were placed there for a much greater purpose. And verses 10 through 14 then give us the specific location of the garden in the land called Eden. And it tells us that God used a river that divided into four parts to form the boundary of this garden. And then verse 15, we're taken back to the the placing of that man, Adam, into the garden. Verse 15, the, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 15 is the commissioning of man. God formed his masterpiece outside of the garden and then placed this man in the garden and gave him instructions on how he was to emulate the one that had formed him by working and keeping the garden. God gave man dominion, made him ruler over this kingdom. But in verses 16 and 17, he places further commands on his masterpiece. And he warns him against treason. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. These two trees in the midst of this garden are once again highlighted. You can eat one, you can't eat the other. You are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or you're going to die. You eat of the one and you will live. You eat of the other, you're going to die. That God would tell Adam that he would die if he ate of this tree, that's important in our understanding of the creation of this man in his humanity. Because Adam had to understand what death was in order for him to understand that there's a prohibition to not eat. Adam if Adam wasn't familiar with death then the consequences of eating that fruit would have been meaningless to him. It's like me just saying something like, you know, don't do that or a flatten's going to happen. Meaningless. And as we know, as we read, Adam understood the consequences well enough to place even greater guards around that tree, that fruit of that tree, with the woman that he loved. God created Adam mortal. A point I'm going to prove to you a little bit later. But then for the first time we hear of something within this masterpiece of God. The one that's been said is very good. We hear God say that it's not good. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Once again, we need to make sure we get our theology right. God wasn't surprised by this revelation. It's not like he looked around and go, man, I forgot something. What we're hearing, what we are being told about is the revelation from God to Adam that which is not good. And verses 19 through 20 prove that point. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man who would see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So what God was doing in verse 18 was revealing to Adam Something that he didn't know. Adam had to know and understand death. But what Adam didn't know, what he didn't understand, what, what true love was. And God here is proving, verse 4 of Psalm 37, which tells us, Delight yourself in Yahweh, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What he was doing here was he was giving Adam a desire in his heart for something that he didn't have before. And that something was a helper. God revealed to Adam the desire of his heart by having him do what God could have done all on his own. Naming the animals. But in his stead, God chose to allow this created, made in his image being, to partner with him. He allowed Adam to use that God-giving gift. And at the same time, used all the rest of creation to reveal to Adam a desire that he didn't have previously. He gave to Adam the realization that while all the other animals had companionship, relationship with another animal of another sex, he didn't. And God gave him this desire, made him aware of this lacking in his life, and also made him aware there was nothing he could do about it. Verses twenty-one and twenty-two. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Saints, there's something I want you to understand. You that have a desire that seems impossible, ask yourself this, Are you delighting in the Lord? Are you completely satisfied in him? Doing your very level best to walk in communion with him, mortifying your flesh to the best you can, and yet you still have this desire. You have this ache for that thing that just seems impossible. If that's you, rejoice. Know that if this is you, if, if this is the truth of your life, if you really desire God more than anything else, even that thing that you desire, if you desire him more than that, if you are content where you are with what you have, but you still have that desire, that thing that you kind of long for, if that thing, does though, takes a back seat to the Lord, and you know that he has your heart, then you should know that he is giving you this desire. And he's going to fulfill it, just like he did with Adam. Adam could do nothing about this desire that he had. How silly would it have been for Adam, after being given this desire by God, to try and just go around and circumvent God. And, you know, I, I have this desire, and I'm sure that it's from God, so... I, I'm just going to go find that, com- that communion, that the companionship that I'm looking for. I, I'm just going to marry a tree. Or, or I'm going to muscle in between these two other animals. Kind of silly. But when he recognized that there was nothing he could do about this desire, except acknowledge it and then allow God to fulfill it, it's then that God did fulfill it, which is exactly what happened. Here it is. Here's the re-retelling of the account of the creation of the masterpiece of God, the heavens and the universe. A masterpiece that he, God, deemed very good. In the final creation within the creation week, the forming of man, made in the image of God, and then given life by the breath of God himself? We are his masterpiece. Do you understand that we, this is hard for me to understand, because I look around and I look at people and go, wow, really? I look in the mirror and go, I don't look like a masterpiece. Maybe a Van Gogh, um, but, but only humans are created in the image of God. We alone, of all the creation of God, create. We alone make art, things of beauty, just because we desire to. I mean, there's animals out there that that create dams, and, and those dams can be masterpieces of art in their design and function. Birds and bees, they make hives and nests that are amazing in their complexity and design. But animals only do that because they have a physical need and they've been given a God-given ability to create. But it's only us. Only humans create just because. Ask a painter why they paint and they're going to tell you because they have a desire within them that they can't explain or deny. They just have to paint. And they paint for the joy that is found in creating. And animals animals are created in two sexes. Just two, by the way. Just two sexes. Just as humans are. And there are some animals that mate for life. And it can be very evident that animals can and very often do enjoy relationships with other animals. And all that happens only because they're created by a relational God that created them and gave them life. But it's only humans. It's only us that enjoy intimate, personal relationships with other humans. It's only of humans that we are told that the two become one flesh to humans alone, beings made in the image of God. It is only to us that we have this kind, this type of intimacy. I mean, in some animals, we can look and what looks like love between them. I mean, Tracy will tell you that my dogs love me, that they look at me with love in their eyes. Maybe they do. I don't know. And, Even between the two of them, there there seems like there's this bond that they really do care for each other, but only humans, the masterpiece of God, enjoy true intimacy with others within our species. And this is best seen within the family unit that God created between Adam and Eve, the two becoming one. And then, be, and then, because of the love and intimacy that God had given them for each other, they create after their own kind. And humans create for no reason. And then we build on those things that we've created. We not only build things, but we also, like houses and stuff, but we also build cultures. We build technologies. We build philosophies of life. We think. We surmise. We contemplate. We know. We are special. And God has a special affection for humans. And we know this because only of humans are we told that he formed us out of the dirt. That he made us in his image. And only of us are we told that he breathed life into us. And we enjoyed his presence. Adam enjoyed his presence as he walked in the garden during the cool of the day. We are his masterpiece of creation. And all of these things are true because we are created in the image of the master creator. We are special. It's only to humans that God condescended to make himself known in written form. It's only to humans that God condescended to becoming one of us in order to redeem us from the curse of sin. Do you understand? Lucifer sin, just like Adam. But God did not redeem any of the sinning angels. It's only to humans that God offers salvation and eternal life with him, In him and even through him. We humans are special. But I have to ask you once again why did God create instead of not creating? Was he lonely? Was he incomplete without you? Was he just bored? I've admonished you to understand Genesis 1-1 correctly. That tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We need to get that first verse right. Or we're going to get all the rest of the verses of the Bible wrong. Our entire view of life and even our view of self will be wrong if we get that verse wrong. Narcissism is the result of getting this verse wrong. Humanism is a result of getting this verse wrong. The false theology that places God at the beck and call to man in salvation is a result of getting this verse wrong. When we understand that God is for God, that all creation happened because of his nature, that he created out of that nature, and that all his creation is here for his glory. It's then, it's then that we can get Verse 1 of Genesis 1, right. It's then that we can rightly understand that even before he created the heavens and the earth, he had the plan of salvation in mind. The plan for the eternal age. And that the creation of the first heaven and earth was always just a temporal plan. It was never an eternal plan. Nothing that had been created was immortal. How do I know this? 1 Timothy verse 6, verse 16, chapter 6, verse 16 tells us, He alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The world was created by God and revealed to us in Genesis 1.1, and it is a masterpiece. And humanity, in all its complexity, is a masterpiece. And both of these masterpieces are created mortal. They are both finite, and they were created with the intent to be recreated. created Only God is the infinite one, and only he is the alpha and the omega, the, omega, the beginning and the end. Only he is the great I am. And there's one more thing that I desire to point out to you in order that you can see, that you can know and you can be sure of the sovereignty of God. You see, we in our time now, especially now, are constantly bombarded and attacked on all sides over the issue of human free will. We must have it, otherwise God is not love. And by free will, we must have the choice to either choose Christ or not. Because if we don't, then God is not a good God. He's an evil monster of iniquity that forces people to love him. But good sir, I have to ask you, what part or portion in the creation narrative gives you any idea that anything or any created being of God had any free will in being created? And after being created in the image of God, how much choice did Adam have in being placed in that garden, in being told to care and keep the garden? How much choice did he exercise in the revelation of his need for a helpmate, or even the making of the helpmate? Was he ever given a choice by God to be a man instead of a woman? Was he given the personal license and opportunity to use his free will in demanding or in deciding that the helpmate that God was making would be Steve instead of Eve? How much free will, how much license are we told of in the creation narrative? And despite the satanic lies of the humanistic governments and religious institutions, God created only two sexes no more than that, and he creates perfect. That means that if you were created a male, that's what he intended you to be. And if you created a a female, that's what he intended you to be. And the only relationship between, that is God honoring, is a single relationship between a single man and a single woman as outlined by our text today. And the only reason that we're dealing with this, humani- this humanity, this nonsense of humanity, is because we have not gotten Genesis 1-1 right. And this created being, this created being, is the masterpiece in the creation of all that is by God. And he is the masterpiece that we are meant to glory in, but when I say he, I don't mean he. I mean he. God is the masterpiece that we are meant to glory in. Everything that we see, everything that we can sense, and everything that we touch, and even those things that we can't, these are all temporal And they are majestic in their creation. And every one of them is a masterpiece in their own right. But all of them point to the true masterpiece that is God. That's why the telling of the creation of all things begins with the telling that there will be an end of all things. And this is why the original telling of creation of all things in Genesis 1-1 highlights only the masterpiece the creator of all things, and nothing else within the created realm. Everything else is just merely a reflection of the true masterpiece that is God. So back to that thing about humans now. Am I right in saying that man was not created to live forever, even before the fall of Adam? I mean, are we not told that sin came into the world through one man and death? Through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, Romans 5.12. And are we not told in Romans 8 that all of subjection was um all of creation was, was subject to futility, not willingly, that all will be set free, that it's groaning in this subjection? Yeah, we are told this truth. But what death is God speaking about in these verses? Adam wasn't created to live forever. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a tree of life at the center of the garden. And this tree of life, this tree of life is just like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they both point to that true masterpiece. And both are much like that light of day two of creation, which is much like the meaning behind what is being created in the image of God is, which is much like what the rest of God that that is told to us in Genesis 2-3 is. And all of this creation was created a masterpiece. And all of this creation was created with the intended purpose of being recreated. And all of this creation is merely a stage that was created in order that the true masterpiece could perform his most majestic of all masterpieces. As he put on full display the majesty of his glory and grace in the person and work of his son. The light of day two that is separate from darkness is Christ as we are told in John eight twelve and second Corinthians four verses one through six and is evidenced by Romans chapter twenty two verse five. And what happened on the day that Adam sinned? Genesis chapter three verses seventeen through nineteen. and to dust you shall return. What did God do when Adam sinned? God cursed the ground. Adam didn't cease to be. In fact, what Adam was told was that until he returned to the ground, that he was the one that he was created out of, he was going to work that ground in toil, in pain. But what about that promise to Adam by God? That he would die on the day that he ate of that tree. We have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, what about that promise? Was, was he just being kind and allowing Adam to live another 930 years before he died? Or maybe he was just kidding. Or maybe he was trying to scare Adam with something that he he couldn't do. Or maybe didn't mean. No, Adam did sin. And he did die on that day that he sinned. And Adam did live 930 years after eating, after sinning. Let's look at what this tree of life really is. The one that God planted in the center of the garden. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, we read this concerning this tree of life. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. And earlier in Proverbs chapter 3, we read beginning in verse 13, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and from her her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can, can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She... Is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And right before explaining that wisdom is a tree of life, David said this verses 5 through 12 of Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not, your, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones honor the lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your fir- of your produce then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine my son do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in the son whom he delights so what is wisdom We hear that it's a tree of life. What is wisdom? 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What about righteousness? Again, Proverbs 3 says that righteousness is the tree of life. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. And because of him, you who are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Saints, we're supposed to understand that all creation is meant to point us to and cause us to think about this masterpiece, which is God. And all of creation was made as the stage that was set precisely in order that God could receive the greatest amount of glory from all of it and all of it. Everything points to Jesus. Don't you see that's why the, the offer of life in the Bible? Do you understand? The offer of life in the Bible is given to living men. And why this matters. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And Jesus, when he walked the earth, he told flesh and blood people, people created in the image of God, people who were alive, these people were. Just as Adam was alive after he sinned, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again, John 3, 5 through 8. And later in the Gospel of John, Jesus once again speaks to real life, flesh and blood, created in the image of God people that were living. He said to them, you are from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. See, this is important in understanding, that all of the, this creation, the first creation, was all temporal. And to these men, those that were alive at that time, he told, Jesus told them of real death. He told them in John chapter 8, You will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So what are we? Those that are of this master creator, what is it that we are told? What is it that we know that we are once we actually come to him? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and yet we're still alive, right? Behold, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And what did Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians concerning our life in Christ versus that old life that we had in Adam? There, Paul said, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam Became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are all who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are all those that are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of death, so also we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Chapter 15, verses 42 and 49. And then the master creator. The one that began this masterpiece of an account within the beginning. He ends this masterpiece in this way. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. He said there, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying from the throne, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be um, with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall be there are any mourning, nor crying nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he, who was seated on a throne, said, "Behold, I am making all things new." Also he said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." And he said to me, "It is done. I am the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And would you believe in the second chapter of that last book of the masterpiece in Revelation, chapter 2, the master creator told these people this, the church there. He said, he who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of this tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's verse 7. And then at the conclusion, the concluding chapters of this last book, the book of Revelation, he once again tells us of this life that is found in the new heaven and the new earth. In the new garden, there where there is no sun, there where there is no moon or stars, there's no need of them, there is no need of a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we are told there by the first and last, the Alpha and the Omega, blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Revelation 22, verse 14. Saints, we are meant to see that God is the masterpiece. He is the shining achievement within himself. He didn't create himself. He's always been. But he understands that within himself, of himself, he is a masterpiece worthy to be praised. And he created all that is for his glory. And we, who are his masterpiece of creation, who were created in his image, and have once again, we who sit here, have been recreated in his image, who have been given the right to the tree of life, who is Christ. We will glory in him for all eternity. It's this one, Jesus the Christ, who is the reason that God will receive glory to the utmost. And this one, the tree of life, the one that we're told is the wisdom of God, the light of the world, he ended this masterpiece of a book by saying this, telling us this. Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.